morning. We're going to go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, that's where we'll be in just a few minutes. We are in part 3 of our series called Twisted, where we are taking the time to look through the Bible and look at some of the, the verses and passages that are pulled out of their context and are misused and a lot of times abused, and we're taking those verses, we are talking about how they get misused and how they get abused and misunderstood, and then we're putting them back in their original context so that we understand them and see what, the, what they were really meant to, to say to us. And so that's where we are today. We're in the third part in this series. Now then, the last couple of weeks, we talked about the danger of having uh, you know, one-verse theology. Now then, that's not to say that we shouldn't have you know, a couple of verses always kind of tucked away in the back of our mind that we go to for strength, because I think we all have those. You know? We have a, a particularly difficult day, and it's, it's good to, to think about Paul and the things that he went through, and uh, knowing that he was able to find contentment no matter what his circumstances were that it was Christ Jesus who strengthened him to endure whatever it is he was dealing with. You know, we hold on to verses. We hold on to verses like that. But sometimes there is a danger of taking one verse out of its context because there, can, there have been people that have pulled Scripture out. And you know, when you do this, if you, if you have an agenda or if you're looking for permission to do something, you can pull a verse out of its context and you can make it say what you want it to say. Am I right? Yeah, you can do that. You know, and there are people that have done this. People that have fights with their family and don't want to get along with their parents. They say, hey, well, you know, Jesus, Jesus said, I, I have to hate my mother and father. You know, and they pull that verse straight out of context. And say, hey, Jesus said, I can hate. I must be allowed to hate. That's not what Jesus meant. Okay? Pulling it out of context, yeah, that's what it sounds like. Jesus says you have to hate your mother and father, and you're thinking, man, Jesus, that's, that's hardcore. But when you look at that passage in its context, you realize that Jesus is using hyperbole. He's using over-speak. He's saying something so outrageous that we won't miss the point. The problem is, is we take a verse like that and we rip it out of its context and we use it to, to fit our needs. But it's when we keep... Scripture in its context that we understand what it was supposed to be saying. And that's why I said a couple of weeks ago that my preferred method of preaching is expository preaching. Where we take a, a chunk of Scripture or a chapter or whatever it might be and we break it down verse by verse and we go through the whole thing keeping it within its context to see what it, it means. It helps us to, uh, to interpret the text. Well, as we have talked about for the last few weeks. We've said a couple of things. The first thing we said is the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. And Tim just reminded us of that just a few minutes ago. You know, we don't have the, the first book uh, to the Cornerstonians. You know, we can't open that book up, but as followers of Christ, it is written for us. Okay? And we see what Scripture is trying to do, that it has some very powerful things for us. And so that's what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. But also, you know, we gave you a couple of tools to help us 
in our Scripture reading, to help us keep Scripture in context. You know, we talked about the, the ABCs. And this is where you're looking at a passage of Scripture and you're trying to figure out its meaning. And if you'll keep the ABCs in mind, you know, the author who wrote it, the background, kind of where they lived, where they're from, why they wrote it, and then the context, the stuff that comes before and after that verse or that passage, you know, it'll kind of help you to, to come up with an interpretation of what that Scripture means. We also uh, talked about the, the W's, you know, the, the who, the when, the, the why, the what. You know, who was it that wrote this? When did they write it? You know, who were they writing it to? You know, and, and why did they write it? What was the meaning that they were trying to get us to grasp from this particular, particular block of Scripture that we are that we're looking at. And if we will just apply even just those simple little things, the ABCs, the Ws, if we'll remember that as we approach Scripture, then we'll do a much better job at figuring out what the original author intended for their readers to hear. And we'll do a better job at applying what it is they're wanting us to know about into, uh, into our lives. Well, just to review uh, the last couple of weeks. Let's look at the points that we've had. Uh, point number one that we had from our, our very first message in this series was context is key. Say that one with me one more time. Context is key. Man, that's so important, isn't it? It is so important to look at Scripture in context. The first one we looked at, remember, it was a doozy. You know, and I thought, well, if we're going to do this if we're going to do this series, we might as well swing for the fences at the very first shot. And we looked at Jeremiah 29.11. As we've said, you know, a lot of people look to that verse. That's where it talks about that, that God has a plan for you and He's not going to harm you and he, His plans include prosperity for your life. And so many people have taken that verse and they have camped out there and they've said, that's me. God has a specific individualized plan in mind just for me. His plan is not to harm me. All of life is going to go great. Not only that, God wants me to personally be prosperous. Well, then what happens when life does not go according to the plan? You know, life doesn't go according to the plan. Things do happen that, that harm us. It turns out, well, we're not exactly prosperous. And we can start to doubt our faith, can't we? My faith must not be strong enough. Or even worse, God lied to me. You see what I'm saying? But when you take that verse and you put it back into context of what was written, you realize that that verse is not intended for individuals. That verse was not written to a person. It was written to a people. It was written to the exiles. And God is saying, hey look, you're in captivity right now, but trust me, I'm going to take care of you. I've got a plan for you, my children. And I'm going to make you into a prosperous nation. And when you put it in this context, you realize, okay, that makes a whole lot more sense. We looked at Philippians 4.13. You know, that's a great verse. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who, who strengthens me, but it's not strength to, to, to finish the race. It's strength to find contentment in life's circumstances, no matter what may come, good or bad. Everything that Paul had gone through, he was able to find contentment in his life 
through the strength that he had in, in Jesus Christ as Lord. And so that's why we see that reading Scripture in context, man, that is so important. Context is the key. Last week, uh, our, our point was misquoting Scripture contradicts the message. And we looked at 1 Corinthians 10.13, and that's a verse that is probably the most misquoted in all the Bible. Hard times happen, and people say what? Well, God will never put more on you than you can handle. And then you open up your Bible, and you're like, oh, wait a minute, that's not what that said at all. You realize that the context is, is talking about temptation. And what it says is that God won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can deal with, and even in the midst of that temptation, He will provide a way of escape. But you see, if we don't know what that Scripture says, and then somebody has something happen to them, a tragic loss, or lose a job, or, or whatever it might be, lose their, their finances, or whatever, we say, you know what, it'll be okay. God will never put more on you than you can bear. And it's like, well, man, does God think I'm a superhero? You know, and you realize, well, man, if this, is, if, if, if this is what God thinks of me, I don't know that I want anything to do with, with that God. You see, and it kind of puts him in a position that, that he never intended for us to be in. And so we see that misquoting Scripture can change the message of Scripture. It can contradict what these writers actually wanted us to know and, and to other, understand. And so let's go ahead. Let's put today's point up there right up here. On the front, twisted point number three is this. Pulling Scripture out of context can cause us to miss the true message. Does that make sense? Pulling Scripture, and I think we're seeing this as we go through this series, that when we pull Scripture out of its context, man, it, it might sound good and it might even be encouraging. But when you pull it away from the whole, you're pulling away the power. You know, and, 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 and we might be missing out on something that is even greater, that is even, that is even better. And so we want to make sure that we realize that context is key. We want to make sure that we remember uh, misquoting Scripture. We don't, I don't think we do it on purpose. But misquoting Scripture can contradict the message and that pulling Scripture out of its context can cause us to miss the, 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 the true message. So, having that in mind, as we go forward and as we approach the, the Word of God, we think about those things. Now then, if you're like me, and I, I know most of you, at least well enough to, to say you're probably at least like me in this one way, but if you're like me, then we can say that we've all blown it at least once in our life. Yes or no? Oh, so, one, yeah, yes or no? Yes, we have all blown it at least once in our life. Every one of us, whether we want to admit to it or not, every one of us has a past, yes or no? Every one of us has a past. Every one of us have failures. Some of us, some of us have probably failed recently. You know what else I know about you? No one likes to be reminded of their past, do they? You know, you, you know that thing you did? You know what I'm talking about. You know that thing I'm talking about? That only a few other people know? You ever had somebody bring that thing up to you? That's comfortable, isn't it? 
No, you don't want somebody to do that. We don't like for people to, to bring things up and remind them, remind us of our, our, our previous mistakes that we made, something that we did, something that we said, something that we caused, or something that we didn't do. Because it makes us feel terrible. Okay, so what times what we do a lot of times is we adopt, we adopt that saying by those, those two great African philosophers that say, you know, in times like this, you got to put your behind in the past. Or maybe something to that effect. You know, that's what we, what we do. You know, we try to do our best to take whatever it is that we've been struggling with, whatever our past is, and we try to put it in our past and we, we keep it there. But sometimes we get down on ourselves, don't we? We start to thinking about our past mistakes. We start to thinking about maybe a, a former way of life and those things start to, to creep in on us. And you know what happens is a lot of times, you know, we don't want anybody to be dwelling on their past, do we? I don't want people to do that. I don't want somebody to be so bogged down in a, a previous sin or a previous lifestyle or a previous mistake that they can't move forward. Does anybody else want that? No, but none, none of you are crazy. You know, we want good things for people, right? Okay, we don't want people to, to bog down, but a lot of times what happens is somebody will have something going on, they'll be thinking about something from their past or something will bring it up, and they'll be, you know, I'm just, I can't believe I did this, whatever it was, I can't get past this. And a, 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 a sincere and a well-meaning Christian, they're often quick to, to quote our good friend Paul. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. And that's our verse that is often pulled out of its context. And they'll say, wait, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I got this. I can't believe I've done this. I've blown it. And they'll say, hey, hey, brother, hey, sister. You've got to forget what is behind. You've got to forget what is behind. Don't focus on that. Don't focus on your failures. Don't focus on all those things. Don't focus on your past you got to press on. you gotta, you got to keep going forward. You know, there's this, there's this message that talks about having eyes in the front. It says our eyes are, are in front because it's more important to look ahead than to look back. Don't dwell on things in the past. Learn from them and, and, and keep moving. You know, you, you read a, a quote like that, and it's got some... It's got some good stuff in it because we do have stuff in our past that we're not proud of, right? I mean, we all acknowledge that a minute ago. We all have stuff in our past that we're not proud of. You know, what this is saying is, look, you do have those kinds of things in your life, but don't, don't dwell on them. Keep your eyes up front. Keep your eyes, keep your eyes forward. Keep moving. And, and overall, we would say that, yes or no, that's a pretty good message, right? I mean, that's a pretty good message. But the problem is, is we take that message right there a lot of times and then we apply it to this. God put your eyes in front of your head for a reason. Now stop looking back and we attach it to Philippians 3.13. We add that previous message to this verse and we give it sort of a, a little theological twist. 
And we'll say, look, I know you got this sin. I know you got this trouble in your life, this thing that you're struggling with, that you've been dealing with. But you know what? God didn't give you eyes in the back of your head. He gave you eyes in the front of your head. Why? So you're not focusing on your past, but you're looking forward. And we take what is a spiritual issue and we turn it into a spatial issue. You know what I'm talking about? That's what we do. And, and while this sounds good, it's taken straight out of context. It's out of context. Because that's not what Paul meant at all when he wrote that, that, that verse. What that verse says is forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Out of context, out of context, this verse says that we should never look back on our, our past life mistakes. To do so is a, a detrimental practice and you can't move forward in your life if you're looking back and if you're dwelling on that. And you know, this verse has become a... a a favorite of, of Christian leaders who have been rapidly restored to leadership positions after a, you know, a, a major moral failure. After an affair or, or some kind of scandal. Maybe they've taken money from a church or, or, or something like that. And you'll hear them say, you know what, I've got, I've got to get back to my leadership position. We've got to, we, we can't focus on the past. I can't focus on the past of what I've done I got. I got to push ahead to, to what is in front. And while I agree, you know, we cannot. We can't hold on to, to sin that is is burdensome to us. That's not how Paul intended that scripture to be used. And to use it in in, in that way is not only misusing it, it is abusing what, what Paul said. To sort of just glide right over sin. To downplay it and, and, and to move on. The full verse of Philippians 3.13 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead. He says, I've not taken hold of it, which means there's a question there to be asked. What is it? What's the it that he's talking about that he hasn't taken hold of yet? Well, the way we find out is we go to the Scripture and we read in context about what Paul is talking about. And I think when we take that verse, or really the second half of that verse, that forgetting what is behind and straining toward what's ahead, and we put it back in the context where it belongs, we'll understand what, what Paul meant. And we'll see its, its true meaning. In, in Philippians 3, he's talking about righteousness through faith in Christ. He's talking about pressing on toward the goal. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the, the same things to you is no trouble for me and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He's talking about the, the Judaizers. These people who were Christians, but they were making it difficult for Gentiles to come into to faith. The people that were saying, it's yeah, it's, it's Jesus, but it's also circumcision. And Paul is writing. He does this in various places. He's saying, look, watch out for people like that. The only thing that matters is faith in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, so watch out for these people. He's like, they boast in these things. But he's saying, though I myself, I have confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he goes to, on to, to name the reasons why he has more confidence. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be, be found in Him. What he is saying is, look, all of that stuff that, that used to matter, you know, that pedigree, that, that tribal line that, that he was born into, that, that, that righteousness that he was able to attain by all of these works, he's saying all of that stuff is worthless. And what matters to me now more than anything else is knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. And not only knowing Jesus, but being known by Jesus. Nothing else matters. All of my accomplishments, all of my achievements, none of that stuff matters. What matters is that Jesus knows me. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have already attained it. Here's our verse. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold to what we have attained. 
in, in this passage, in this passage of Scripture, Paul isn't talking about forgetting his past mistakes and, and moving on and, and never dwelling on them again. How do we know that? Because in verse 6, what did he say? I persecuted the church. That's pretty bad, isn't it? That sounds like one of those things you'd like to put behind you and never have brought up again, right? Yet here is Paul bringing it up to the Philippians. I persecuted the church. When Paul wrote his letter to, to Timothy, the first letter he wrote to him, he described himself as what? The chief sinner. There are a lot of sinners in the world, Timothy, but I'm the worst one there is. In Acts 22, when Paul is giving his defense before a, a mob in Jerusalem, and he's recounting his story, before he encounters Jesus, he says, I persecuted the church to death. Now, if there's anything you would not want brought up, if you want to, don't look back and, and press on, press forward, don't focus on the past, stuff like that is stuff you want out of the way, right? That's stuff that you don't want to focus on. You don't want somebody bringing that up. Hey, you used to kill people. You used to persecute the church. And so when we read this in context, we realize that that's not what Paul is talking about at all, is it? He's not talking about that at all. He's focusing on his achievements. He's focusing on his attained claims for righteousness. He's saying all the stuff that, that I had, all the stuff I was, all the stuff I did, all that was great and good, but you know what? That does not matter. I've forgotten that stuff. I'm pressing on toward Christ Jesus and His resurrection. And I am pressing toward resurrection power. I'm not there yet. But I'm pressing on toward the goal. Because that's what saves me, not this other stuff. Not my nationality. Not my circumcision. Not the works that I did. I've forgotten that. It's all about Jesus. As one writer put it, this verse is about Paul dismantling his own pride. But you see, taking Scripture out of context, as we see, taking Scripture out of context causes us to miss the goal, doesn't it? Because you know, we pull it out of context and we say, forget what is behind, press on to the goal. And, you know, while that sounds pretty good, that's really nothing more than, than self-philosophy. Right? When you put it in context and you realize what, what Paul was talking about, you realize, man, there's a lot more power behind this stuff. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about everything else. Nothing else matters but but Jesus you read this in context you realize this isn't a get out of jail free card you know I've sinned horribly I don't need to take any time away I don't need to let God deal with me I don't need to let God discipline me or restore me or get refocused on what is important you know I can't be concerned with with looking back because we got to strive for what's ahead it's not 
about forgetting what's in our past. It's about becoming more like Jesus. That's the point that Paul is trying to make. It's about letting Christ deal with us and deal with our past so that we can use them to to help others. As a matter of fact, I would go as far to say that we do need to be mindful of our past. We do need to remember what we've done. Not, not, not to dwell on it. Not to, to stay burdened by guilt. But as a reminder of how far we've come. As a reminder of how good Jesus is. And allows us to, to look back and see what He has freed us from. That's the, that's the healthy way of, of looking back. You know, to, to dwell on it, to not ask forgiveness, to not forgive ourselves, you know, that's, that's detrimental. But to look back acknowledging what we've done. Asking forgiveness of, of what we've done, we've done, and then allowing God to use it That's the best way forward. Why do we respect Paul so much? Because he said, I was the chief sinner, right? Isn't that why we respect Paul? Not because he wrote all these books. What I respect about Paul is he says, look, man, you think you were bad? I was worse. Don't you respect somebody that does that? Somebody that says, I may look like I got it all together, but let me tell you the truth, I don't. Because I've been right where you are and I've been past where you are. Paul's not trying to say, don't talk about your past. I think what he's really saying is, look, you let God heal you from your past. And then you watch Him use your past. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you, you've been in some dark places and Jesus has brought you out of it. And you know what? You have seen others in dark places. You've been able to recognize it. And because of that, you've been able to intercede on their behalf. Am I right? Isn't that how it works? God is not afraid of your past. God doesn't say, forget about your past, don't talk about it, never bring it up. Act like it never happened. That's that's hypocritical. But to acknowledge our past, to use our past, that's how we keep from becoming hypocritical. And we let God use it to minister to, to others. So back to our our point for the morning. Pulling Scripture out of context can cause us to miss the true message. Do you see that? That when we pull that verse out, and while it sounds good, and while it sounds great, don't focus on the past. Press on, yeah, that that sounds great, but you put it back in its context, and man, there's more power there. And we've completely missed it. Context is key. And pulling it out, we realize 
Verse 13 taken out of context says, don't ever, ever look back. Don't focus on it. Don't talk about it. Push it out of your mind. Don't turn around and look at it. Remember Lot's wife? Well, we pull that one out of context. Use it right there, can't we? Keep pressing on toward the goal. But in context, in context, it's about being known by Jesus. It's about being transformed like Jesus. It's about pressing on, wanting to, to, to participate in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, when we read Scripture in context, man, there's so much more power to it. It's so important to read it in context so we don't miss what it is, what it is saying. What Paul is actually saying is nothing else matters. It's all about Jesus. Nothing else matters. You can't live right enough. You can't live good enough. Your pedigree doesn't matter. Throw it out the window. What matters is Jesus. And being known by Him. And that, that is for us. Just as it was for Him. What matters for us is being known by Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord. That's somebody who knows who Jesus is, but is not known by Jesus. We want to be the people who are known by Jesus. So that when we say, Lord, Lord, He says, come on in. Good and faithful servant. I know who you are. You're my people. And that's the goal, to be known by Jesus. Maybe you've walked away from that. Maybe you were known by Jesus at one time, but you've gone to live a different way. Change. Come back. Jesus still knows who you are. Come back. Or maybe you've never given your life to Jesus before, and you want to be known by Jesus as Paul was known by Jesus. And it starts when you confess Jesus is Lord. When you say Jesus is Lord, that's it. That's, that's where it begins. You commit to leaving your old life that you're ashamed of. You give your life to Jesus in baptism. You're buried with Him, participating in the resurrection of Christ. You're brought up, made new, Restored, made whole, guess what? That past that you were afraid of, no longer. Now God can use that past to influence others for the kingdom of God. Nothing else matters but Jesus. If you need prayers from the church, we want to pray for you. We want to help you in whatever way we can. If you need to be baptized into Jesus so that you can know Him today, don't wait. If we can help you, if we can pray for you, if we can serve you in any way, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?